Hello everyone, you're listening to America Meditating Radio. We collect wisdom, inspire each other, and empower hearts on demand 24-7. I'm Sister Jenna, host of the syndicated America Meditating Radio. Join us as we talk one-on-one with leading experts who answer life's most compelling questions. Because in a world of uncertainty, we need answers right here, right now. America Meditating Radio, a show for everyone to learn more about this amazing thing called life. Gateway for awakening. 
not something to get rid of. Rather, the way we pay attention to self-aversion is actually the ground of the path. Welcome to America Meditating Radio. That was Tara Brock from Monique Rhodes Heartbeat, accepting yourself just the way you are. Not always easy for many of us, but we're trying. We're working on it. We're a work in progress, right? <laughs> I hope today finds you in a good space. And um, as we continue to charter through times of great opportunity, it's a time for us to really look deep within ourselves and really come out um, shining, flying. You're either going to crawl or you're going to fly. So what makes me crawl, what makes me fly, is what I believe in. The way I I nurture these thoughts in my head, in the soul. Have you ever thought about the fact that um, I, I attended a funeral just a few days ago, and as I saw my wonderful brother who lived up until 93, he wasn't moving, his eyes were closed, the light was gone. And I was like, where did the soul go? He was a soul, but he was sitting in that body and playing out apart from the soul. But now where is the soul? And people will say it's gone to heaven, it's gone to God if you've done well. I personally believe that we come back again and, you know, give it another shot. If it wasn't supremely perfect, I get another shot at it. And in between that, I enjoy incredible people, places, food, experiences, and there's some that I'm very challenged by. And it's as if those challenging moments are actually helping me to recognize what I need to do to get it just right, to get it just right. Anyway, so I'm looking at his body, and I'm seeing that his soul is not there. And over and over again, one of my first teachings in Raj Yoga kept reminding me, um, do you know who you are? You are a soul. You are a soul. And as many times as I hear that, It takes still such depth for me to really deeply believe that I am a soul. And what does that mean? It means everything I think, say, and do gets recorded. Everything that I am is sitting inside of that energy of consciousness, that energy of light, that the soul is in charge, not the body. The soul uses the body. Anyway, I just had all of these thoughts while I was just looking at him, and I had to share a prayer and a blessing for him and the family. And I just keep walking away every time I preside over a funeral. I keep walking away with the the need and the consistent attention on being a good human being. No matter at what cost and no matter how hard it can be at times, just be 
a good human being. It is essential. It is essential for our survival. It is essential for our peace of mind. You know, you can have a lot of money, and money can buy you all the things that you physically want, but it has never bought you love. It has never bought you peace of mind. Sometimes it's not even able to cure an illness that is terminal. It's a thought. It's a belief. It's a feeling. So just to give it some thought today, you know, to what extent am I really taking care of the soul at a very sincere level that I'm able to really appreciate things and be the best that I can be in my own journey. So today we have a very special guest, Dana Lee Bagley, who is a registered clinical psychologist, and she specializes in health. Dr. Bagley holds an assistant professor appointment in the Department of Family Medicine and cross appointments in the Departments of Surgery and Psychology and Neuroscience of Dalhousie University and an adjunct professor appointment in the Department of Industrial and Organizational Psychology at St. Mary's University. Dana's work as a clinical health psychologist at the Nova Scotia Health Authority for the Multi-Organ Transplant Program as well. She's a director of the Center for Behavior Change, which conducts research and training in chronic disease management. She was the recipient as well of the 2017 Woman of Excellence Award for her contributions to health, sports, and wellness. Dr. Bagley has a new book. It's entitled Healthy Habits Suck. How to Get Off the Couch and Live a Healthy Life, Even If You Don't Want To. I'm very proud to welcome Dr. Dana Lee Bagley. Welcome. Hi. Thanks very much for having me. You're welcome. I'm glad to have you, actually, because the work that you're doing is so important, especially now. Are you finding that your workload has multiplied or increased a 100 times more than it was before? Um, well, certainly a lot of people now um, struggle with health, right? And we know mm-hmm. part of that is just that our environment is not at all conducive to making healthy choices. And as people live longer, we face more chronic disease and more issues around health. And so certainly, you know, there is more need for being able to take care of ourselves and all the obstacles we face in trying to do that. Mm-hmm, indeed. A friend of mine who's a psychiatrist here in D.C., she had shared with me that after the maybe with the last two, three years, her client list has increased about 20 times more than what she used to have. And it's been overwhelming for her. And she's in an area of a lot of professionals and people who are doing you know, good work in the world, but it's just become a really, really unhealthy time. I understand that you exercise regularly, and I'm going to have to ask you to give me some tips. <laughs> and um, But you really enjoy it. I mean, you really enjoy it. You're a regular runner who competes in 10K races and never gets a runner's high, and you drink green smoothies. You hate vegetables, right? And you are a clinical psychologist who specializes in health. Now, how does this all tie in together? Well, part of, you know, why I wrote the book is because I've worked with people with health conditions for a long time, but also, similar to most people, struggled myself with trying to maintain healthy habits. And so I'm not one of those people who gets a runner's high, and I don't love eating broccoli or kale. So I feel like it was, you know, meaningful and important to write this book for those people who don't, it doesn't seem like it comes to them naturally the way it might seem like it does for other people and to help them try to be healthy. I get that. I want to also do it, but sometimes I don't feel it. And when I don't feel it, I just don't do it. But at least you do it. 
but you basically say, I hate doing this, but I know it's good for me. Right. So that's a good one. And that's actually, yeah, that's actually part of the skills that, um, that we teach, like in the book, right, is about we have this kind of notion that, you know, you should find exercise you enjoy. And part of the messaging in the book is that actually you can hate every minute of it as long as you're willing to do it. So we're not trying mm. to make exercise more enjoyable or to make broccoli taste better. We're actually just trying to find reasons to make it worth it to do the yucky work of being healthy. And so I think it you know, takes a different spin on things because we're not trying to make it easier. We're trying to increase people's willingness to do uncomfortable things um, in the service mm-hmm. of things that really matter to them. And part of the work like is that. about figuring out what really matters to you and how does being healthy actually help you be that person. I like that. Like they sometimes say, no pain, no gain. Most of right? these healthy habits are. Most of these healthy habits actually suck. You know, like they don't feel good while you're doing them. Mm-hmm. We're hardwired as humans to not enjoy them, right? To in fact want to choose the unhealthy option. And so I actually think that most people show up this way, in fact, not enjoying exercise and not preferring broccoli, um, and that this is actually the more normal state for humans. Oh, interesting, and it's so. It fascinates me when they do these commercials with people with these toned bodies and sweating, and they look yeah. good and happy and strong. Right. And I'm like, yeah. God, I'm such like a bum. <laughs> yeah, I look miserable when I'm running. Just so I, you I know, can only yeah. imagine. Yeah. So look, at um, obesity is such a huge problem in North America. Why is this, and how healthy really are we? So, you know, obesity, as well as other chronic conditions like diabetes, heart disease, right, they're all on the rise. And in part because our environment really does not help us make healthy choices, but it's also part of how humans are hardwired, that we're really not hardwired to pick healthy options. A lot of our automatic wiring goes back to basically like caveman times when we actually, you know, had a major problem about humans starving to death. And so our Uh body has all kinds of systems to make sure we don't starve to death. So, you know, I often say like, you know, those skinny girls in the magazines, they don't survive a long winter. They're not getting through a famine. Right. Over (laughs) evolutionary history, it's been really important to be able to put on weight and to not starve to death. And so we have all kinds of systems that still function in us now to try to prevent us from starving to death. And these are a lot of the internal forces that make it difficult to choose broccoli or to choose exercise because our bodies aren't and our minds aren't hardwired for that. I wonder what would be the karma of Twiggy's soul who started to be this this thin, thin model to make us think that this is how we needed to be to look good in clothing. And it's true. You know, the days of the Renaissance, we were voluptuous. We were full. Like, what is this with these skinny ladies? It used to be a sign of wealth, right, that you could yes, have some Yes, it still is in Indian, places like you. Indian Africa. Um, it is. Yep, and there's lots of other cultures that value, like, larger bodies than we, than we do in North America also. So, you know, there's a mm-hmm. lot of forces basically working against us because when we feel badly about ourselves, we're actually the least mm-hmm. likely to make healthy choices, right? When we feel guilt or shame, that's when we're least likely to make healthy choices. Mm, nice. So let's talk about your book, Healthy Habits Suck, or why did you choose to write it and call it what you did? Yeah, so having worked with lots of people throughout my career with, you know, chronic and sometimes life-threatening um, health conditions, I spend a lot of time trying to help people be healthy. Um, and then I also had my own life event. I got separated and eventually divorced, which also impacted my health in a, a big way also. 
And so I, you know, started using all these principles that I had been talking with uh, patients for a long time and realized, you know, I'm not somebody who gets a runner's high. I hate vegetables. Um, And actually, this is, you know, common for people. And so it's giving strategies for those people who don't naturally like exercise and who are not into kale chips, you know, um, which, again, I think is like a much more normal state of being uh, to help them be healthy. So it's really to try to reach people that I wouldn't normally get to speak to or interact with um, to try and help, you know, them have healthier and more meaningful lives. Mm, Nice, nice. Well, I think it's spot on in terms of the title that some of us, and we're not in that culture, like you said, we're not in a culture that teaches us healthy habits. I mean, we get commercials that get a Snickers bar, get an energy drink. That's not healthy. Companies have spent billions of dollars making those foods more attractive to us, right? And, you know, if you drive home, you'll pass all kinds of billboards and fast food restaurants and all of those things impact our ability to make healthy choices. You know, I I have a son who plays a lot of sports and it always, you know, kills me that we go to the sports arena and our only options are French fries and hamburgers, right? In a sports yes. arena. So our environment just is really not conducive to healthy choices and it's important for us to recognize that those factors influence us. Yes, I agree with you 100%. What do you think are some good reasons and not such good reasons for wanting to get healthy? Yeah, so we talk a lot about, um, you know, often people are trying to make health, you know, they're trying to make health important. And we often say, like, let's not talk just about health. Let's talk about what your health will let you do or let you be. So let's think about, like, the person that you want to be in this life or how you want to contribute to the world or what what really matters to you about how you show up and how does health help you be that person. So, for example, you know, if I want to be an active and engaged parent, then I could see that going to the gym isn't like me time that I'm taking for myself, that it's actually a way I show up as the parent I want to be because when I go to the gym, I'm more engaged with my kid, I'm more patient, I'm more present. And so this time that I spend at the gym isn't time away from him or not being a parent. That's actually another version of me showing up as the parent I want to be. So we're not Mm -hmm. trying to make health more important. We're trying to find, you know, what health will let you do. How will it help you be the person that you want to be? So I remember working with a woman who was trying to quit drinking and she had a liver condition. So she really did need to quit drinking. And I said, well, what will you do more of or less of if you're not drinking? And she said, well, you know, I'd get my laundry done and I'd get my dishes done. And I said, you mean we're doing all this work just so you can do more laundry? I'm like, that's not a good reason. (laughs) I was like, no wonder you don't want to give up drinking. I wouldn't give up drinking either if it meant I had to do more laundry. (laughs) So we're trying to find other reasons that matter, right? And eventually with her, we got to the point that she wanted to socialize and having a clean house would actually help her socialize. Now, socializing and building your social, you know, network and spending time with friends and family, that probably is worth it, you know, to be able to do some Mm -hmm. of these hard choices of being healthy. Sure. Now, one of the hardest things is to maintain it um, because in general, based on science, Long-term healthy habits seem to be the hardest to maintain. Is there a psychological reason behind that? Yeah, absolutely there is. So, again, when we go back to our caveman mind, so our it's like part of our midbrain. This part of our brain is responsible for learning, memory, emotions. And that part of our brain, again, was very well adapted to a caveman existence. But that caveman existence was all about short-term gain. So you are always making the short-term benefit choice, not the long-term gain. 
And, you know, our life expectancy was about 30 at that time. So living for today was a really great idea. It really did not matter if that might give you cancer when you were 80 because you were already dead, right? You totally mm-hmm. had to pick the thing that was going to benefit you right now. And though that part of our brain still influences us. And so that part of our brain always suggests short-term gains for us, not long-term planning. And that's why mm-hmm. it's so hard to maintain these habits long-term because that part of our brain does not – function well long-term. It's not designed for chronic anything. Now, we can override, you know, messaging from that part of our brain with our frontal lobe, and that's the part of our brain that's responsible for executive functioning. So that's things like starting behavior, stopping behavior, delaying gratification, making plans, but it's all about controlling behavior. And so it doesn't change the thoughts. It doesn't change the feelings that show up what it can control is our behavior. And so a lot of focusing on the behavior that you do control rather than the thoughts and feelings that are showing up from your caveman mind, that's great advice if you're a caveman, but it just may not be good advice for our modern world, right, where you can have an entire day's worth of calories in a single Starbucks cup. So it's a different um, world that we live in now, and we have to use our frontal lobe rather than the advice from our caveman mind. I can't believe what they put in those Starbucks coffee. Can I tell you that? <laughs> no, I swear to you, it's too much. That yep. is just not right. I can't believe that was approved. I mean, it's well, crazy. and again, that's, you know, keep in mind, we don't live in an environment that um, helps us make healthy choices, right? So yes. it's, I, and part of that messaging is about, you know what, let's be kind to ourselves because this actually is really hard. You know, let's be kind mm-hmm. and compassionate because we're fighting our caveman brain. We're fighting our, like, modern existence and the way our world is structured. Like, it actually is really hard work to be healthy in the long term. Beautiful. So why do you call what we should be doing health behaviors? And you say that they're abnormal for exercising and eating. So health behaviors, again, as I just referred to the frontal lobe, we're trying to pick stuff that involves behavior. And behavior is basically something that someone else can see you do. And so it's not, you know, going to the gym is a behavior because someone could see you do it. Whether you enjoyed the gym isn't a behavior. Whether you felt motivated to go to the gym, not a behavior. And so we're trying to focus on behavior. And so that's why we talk about health behaviors. And those are basically things that other people can see you do that would contribute to your health. The common ones people think about are about like their dietary choices, about activity and exercise. But there's also things like getting enough sleep, socializing, managing stress, right? Those things also contribute to our health. And so uh, Mm. part of, you know, what we're working on in the book is to try to pick and maintain some healthy habits um, in the form Mm. of health behaviors. And again, these health behaviors are going to violate all of our messaging from our caveman brain. So our caveman brain is designed seek pleasure, avoid pain, do the thing that takes the least amount of effort and to live for today. Now, a health behavior or a healthy habit requires you to avoid pleasure. So you shouldn't have that ice cream to accept pain. You should go for a run. To do the thing that takes the most amount of effort, you should take the stairs and not the elevator, and to live for the future. Don't you know that might kill you in 20 years? So these healthy habits violate all of our instinctive responses from our caveman brain, and that's why Mm -hmm. doing them sucks, because it's not consistent with what our caveman mind wants us to do. But it's funny, back in the caveman days, we were so much more healthier. I think about there's a property next to where we are, and they've cut down all these beautiful trees, but they have these machines that are lifting up the logs, putting them in a truck, moving it away, 
And I keep thinking about how did the Egyptian move those stones to build that pyramid? And it's a mental yep. and physical strength that they had. They were Their bodies were just really strong, but so was the mind. What are your thoughts about, you know, mental empowerment or mental exercise? Have you given that much discussion right. in the book? Yeah, I mean, in case and times, we were getting the same amount of exercise that triathletes get nowadays, and that was just mm. to survive. So we were all super fit just to survive. But we also died when we were 30. That was our life expectancy. So we didn't have to be healthy for very long, right? And so that's why some of those suggestions our caveman mind gives us are about short-term gains and not long-term gains. Now, to me, mental strength is actually about our ability to engage our frontal lobe and to control our behavior. And that's an individual difference, and it's a muscle. And so, you know, we use up that executive functioning, that self-control all day long to get our lives done. And that's why sometimes in the evening, we basically spent that muscle, and the muscle is worn out. And that's why binge eating tends to happen in the evening and not in the morning, because we've basically used up that self-control muscle. So part of mm-hmm. what we talk about in the book is basically how to activate your frontal lobe. And that includes things like understanding why you're doing this, not just to be healthy, but so you can be the person you want to be in this world, so you can contribute to the world the way you want to. Um, And so understanding those principles and linking that to your behavior can then become a source of long-term motivation and a way to try to activate your frontal lobe, which is absolutely required in, you know, that mental fitness in order to be able to do these healthy habits. Great, I get that. So give us an overview of global health by the numbers. You say in a broad scale, humans are not living a healthy lifestyle, like you've said a lot throughout the conversation. Yeah, so I mean, especially in Western cultures, right, there are high rates of all kinds of chronic disease, heart disease, you know, cardiac disease, heart disease, diabetes, obesity, of these things, you know, are on the rise. And directly because we don't engaged in healthy habits and these kind of illnesses catch up with us over time um, and we live in a world that doesn't support healthy habits. And do you think a lot of the unhealthy habits that we have imposed on us is really just about corporate greed and all the money that major corporations are putting in and we've just stopped thinking for ourselves? Yeah, I mean, clearly the food industry spends billions of dollars to make the food more attractive to us, right? So they spend a lot of time and energy trying to make food more attractive to us. And so definitely that factors into, like, you know, what's available to you will impact your choices. If you go to a hockey rink and you only have fries and hamburgers available, you're a lot more likely to eat fries and hamburgers, right? They often don't have salads or fresh fruit or vegetables, and in part because there's no money in that. Right. There's no money for corporations to make apples and vegetables because there's no processing. There's no chemical alterations to that. So, you know, part of that does impact us. And, you know, I don't think we'll make any big impact in obesity rates until there are public policies that help our environment be healthier also. And a great example of that is smoking policies. Right, So the smoking rates have um, reduced dramatically when there was public policy about where you could smoke and that you couldn't smoke in certain locations and only in other locations. That impacted our behavior um, in a substantial mm-hmm. way. And I don't think we'll really impact obesity rates unless there are similar public policies that make healthier choices easier um, and unhealthy choices, choices harder. Oh, that's interesting. I never thought of that. That's lovely. You know, because your book tends to be with all due respect, like an oxymoron, healthy habits suck. You know, they're like, okay, yeah, like exactly. jumbo shrimp. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Just exactly. for our own clarity, you wrote that millions of years of evolution have shaped us to avoid um, pain, seek pleasure, take the path of least resistance, and live for today. But healthy behaviors require us to experience pain, avoid pleasure, take the most difficult path, and live for the future. Could you just add a little bit more light on that? Again, in our evolutionary history, our caveman brain is about survival. So it is about keeping us alive. And, you know, I talked earlier about how starving to death has been a problem for the human species. It is still a problem for the human species. As we speak, Mm -hmm. there are humans on the planet starving to death. This is not something that humans have solved. And so there's actually like system after system after system to make sure we don't starve to death. So a year after you lose weight, food will smell better and food will taste better. Like, you know, there's a thing called metabolic adaptation, where if you decrease your calories, your metabolic rate goes down. Now, these are highly, you know, adaptive solutions if you are in a caveman environment where you will go through famines and you will go through, you know, bad harvests, um, where there will be food shortages, where sugar and salt and fat were in rare supply. So whenever you got the chance to eat them, you should eat them until they were gone. And so these are all carryovers, um, the way our brain still works, our survival brain still works without our conscious awareness and without our effort. So if you put your hand on a hot stove, you will move your hand away before you consciously register pain. So before you know you're in pain, your caveman mind has already activated and removed your hand from the source of danger. That's our caveman mind, you know, in action. And the same thing shows up around eating habits, around exercise, because, um, again, it's well-suited to a caveman existence. It's just not well-suited mm-hmm. to our modern environment. And so the way Great we example. can deal with that and overcome it is by using our frontal lobe, by controlling our behavior, but recognizing that we can't ever shut off our caveman mind. We can't stop it from giving us advice. We just have to kind of not fall for its advice, you know, recognize mm-hmm. that it's not good advice for what we need or who we want to be in our modern existence. Great example. Thank you so much. As we're coming to a close in the book, you also utilize mindfulness and self-compassion skills to help people to engage more in healthy behaviors. Could you share some of those skills? Give us some examples. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the things that we need to do if we're trying to control our behavior as opposed to take our caveman mind advice is to be able to slow down enough to notice that our mind is giving us bad advice. Right, So mindfulness skills, to be able to notice that advice that your caveman mind is giving you and to um, sometimes not follow it. So one of the examples I talked about in the book is imagining your thoughts as footballs. And so, you know, your mind sends you a football, which is like, you know, cake would taste really good right now. Um, And we can (laughs) either run down the field with a football, like, yeah, I would love some cake. That would taste really good. I've had a hard day. I deserve a treat. That's us kind of running down the field. Right. Another way is that when the football comes at us, right, and says, I'd really like some cake right now, is to imagine just putting the football down, which is basically a mindfulness technique of noticing your thoughts, but trying to unhook from them and not get caught up in them. And so our mind will keep sending us footballs. This is what minds do, but it's our job to notice we've received a football and to try to put it down more often if it's not leading us to where we want to go. Um, And Mm. so these are the kinds of techniques that I talk about in the book that are all based on science that have been shown to work across a number of health conditions and mental health conditions to be able to better make your own choices rather than follow your caveman's advice. 
Mm -hmm. We also talk a lot about self-compassion because Mm -hmm. there's also good evidence that when we can be kind and compassionate to ourselves, we're more likely to stick with difficult tasks. And again, in my opinion, sticking with healthy habits is a difficult task, right? And it's something we will, will make mistakes and we'll fall off the wagon. And so it's not really a question of if you will fall off the wagon. It's really about how quickly can you get back on. And when Mm -hmm. we can respond to setbacks and failures with kindness and compassion, we're a lot more likely to get back on the wagon quicker than when we, you know, treat ourselves harshly or critical. So it's sort of a cultural belief that if we are hard enough on ourselves, then we will never make that mistake again. But it's not (laughs) actually true. When we look at the literature and even like anecdotal evidence, you know, when we're hard on ourselves, that's when we go to the old habits because we're spending so much effort trying to manage our mood that there's nothing left over to make a healthy choice. So when we can respond with kindness and compassion, then we're much more likely to get back at it quicker. And now for yourself on a personal note, how are you taking care of yourself recently? What are you doing to maintain yourself internally as well as externally? I often tell people that I spend you know, a minimum of two hours a day trying to take care of myself. So I go to the gym for at least an hour and I spend an hour kind of preparing food so that I have like healthy food to eat all day. And, and that's like an ongoing effort. So, you know, there's been times when I have to travel a lot and I fall off the wagon because I can't keep that up. Um, But those are markers for me about whether I've taken on too much work. If I don't have those two hours to spend on myself, then I know I've taken on too much and I need to find a way to let something go so that I have time to take care of myself. And I probably actually need another hour. I probably need a third hour to try to get more sleep, right? So I certainly (laughs) try to get more sleep, but, you know, that's my next kind of project. And in fact, our next research project also about improving sleep. So, and I don't have any chronic conditions, right? So that's like two to three hours a day when I don't have a chronic condition just to be able to keep going. And people are often, you know, surprised at like how much I work, but I also say like, I spend a lot of time taking care of myself so that I can do that work. Mm -hmm. And that's what gives me the energy to keep going is because I've put good fuel in, because I've tried to get good sleep, um, because I've exercised and that's what actually allows me to be that productive is by spending Mm -hmm. that time taking care of myself. But it's an ongoing project, right? It's always something your frontal lobe requires, like, active, conscious, deliberate effort. It doesn't show up automatically. And when you take your foot off the gas, your caveman mind is right there to recommend that you eat some chocolate cake and lie on the couch, right? So (laughs) uh, it's an ongoing project. And that's okay once in a while, right? And that's okay once in a while. Be kind to yourself. I mean, if you end up on the couch eating cake, you're just being a normal human, right? That's, that would have been awesome in caveman times to rest and not waste energy and to eat some sugary food to give you lots of energy. So, you know, mm-hmm. I fall off the wagon all the time, and my goal is just to recognize I've done it, be kind to myself, and try to get back at it. Yes, I get that. I get that. Well, thank you so much. And um, are you doing any book signings? I do a lot of talk presentations on a variety of topics, including like chronic disease management, obesity management. I don't have any specific presentations about the book, but I'm often giving talks about similar topics. Anything in the USA? Not yet, but, you know, feel free to invite me. (laughs) Would love that. But people can follow me on social media if they want to, you know, so I often tweet about healthy habits and 
about um, the work that I'm doing. So they can follow me on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. And the handle is Dr. Lee Bagley, which is D-R-L-E-E-B-A-G-G-L-E-Y, both on Mm -hmm. Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Um, And I'm often talking about um, healthy choices and how to how to support that. Okay, lovely. So I've just followed you on Twitter. <laughs> Great. That's awesome. All right. I'll be tweeting about this uh, interview later. So. <laughs> Definitely. Dr. Dana Lee Bagley, thank you so much. And thanks for making us accept that being healthy does suck. <laughs> but it's yes, good for thanks you. Thanks so much for having me. <laughs> All take right. Care. You take good care. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. So that was Dana Lee Bagley, uh, PhD, and if you want some more information on her, just go to Dr. Lee Bagley, Dr. D, D-R-L-E-E-B-A-G-G-L-E-Y.com for more information. And her book is Healthy Habits Suck, How to Get Off the Couch and Live a Healthy Life, Even If You Don't Want to. It's a very, very real, real conversation here because really, we don't always feel that inspiration to do all of that good stuff for ourselves. We can do it for everyone else, but not always for ourselves. And so today we're given permission to do it and be miserable about it, but knowing that there's gain with just a little bit of pain. (laughs) Anyway, remember no one can take away your happiness unless you give them permission, and we really are here to love each other the same. Here's Bliss. The title of the track is called Lifted. Take care, everyone.
I'm Sister Jenna. You've been listening to America Meditating Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Did you enjoy that conversation? Because you can also listen to it on Spotify or on iTunes 24-7, anytime, anywhere. I do trust we all have inner power to become our very best. When we listen with curiosity to learn more, we grow. So thanks so much for tuning in, and do be easy on yourself. Take care.